Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. What a fabulous first year that was for the Dentology podcast. Flown by, truly flown by. What's that? Two two seasons? Two seasons, a terrific bunch of guests. Oh, some of the guests. Some of those episodes were truly stunning. I tell you what, should we jump to some of our favourite clips? Yeah, good idea, good idea. It'll be interesting to see him again, actually. Yeah. On the Wells and Wheels, obviously, I'll leave you to kind of explain more what it's about, but it obviously helps um, women and young children in, in India get access to water. And before you explain about kind of what that charity is and how it came about, uh, was it a coincidence that this this whole Wells on Wheels thing started at about the same time as you started your own family? Was there a connection that kind of said, I now have you know, a family of my own and we are so fortunate, we're so privileged. And, and that happens just because we live in the UK. Living in the UK, you know, our, our, our privilege and access to things is, is on another level to so many people on the planet. Was there a connection between your family and they wanted to try to, you know, lift up and help the people in, in a really positive way in, in some of these regions in India? Uh, absolutely, yeah. There is a there's a, a extremely strong link between um, me becoming a father. So my daughter is four now. So four years ago, you know, when that moment happened, and it takes for us blokes sometimes it takes a little while to really understand that has this actually just happened? Am I a father now? And there's a there's a massive <laughs> boy to man moment. Uh, and I mean, for me anyway, uh, there was a big boy to man moment, and. I just saw we're that. both nodding, Shaz, as you can yeah, see. We're both nodding and agreeing with it. And yeah. I think between us, we've probably got enough for a father-side team. I think we do. At least. I think we do. <laughs> Maybe uh, two. That, that's like you inspire me because you've done it so many times. I mean, I've just got the one. And what I was going on to say is I've seen like how much we invest in wrapping them in cotton wool in all aspects of their life. And you know, I use this example that you know, in the sun – uh, when, when my daughter's out, we smother her in sun protection. Um, and, you know, obviously I'll go on to explain the charity, but there's girls in rural India walking, younger than my daughter sometimes, walking for hours, carrying something very heavy back and forth. And they're doing it with a smile. So um, I felt just when I became a parent that I feel parents generally have a responsibility to other innocent children that don't have protection. Um, and it was a massive link for me so I got softened up at that point and it just because you know in, in the front of my mind I wanted to do good the opportunities just connected together and I was able to form Wells on Wheels. Mm. So could you just give us a, a couple of minutes what, what, what is what is Wells on Wheels for the people listening? Absolutely so um, I, I'll explain what Wells on Wheels is but I'll just explain how it came about as well but very quickly mm-hmm. uh, as I said look, I always wanted to do good so it was, I found it extremely difficult to donate to charities so I have a cousin in India and I said to him that please can you in your spare time go into villages and you know there's a common issue of you know dad is trying to get his daughter married and there's a you know it's there's a lot of pressure so some of these dads will go and take out massive loans and by massive loans it's like we're talking 500 quid yeah mm-hmm. but for them it's till the end of life and some of them even die very early because they've done everything to pay off these loans so there's lots of hardships someone's had a, had a had a baby they haven't got the basics so i told my cousin look you just need to do me a favor go into these villages identify who they are 
And when you are giving them the goods, so we wouldn't give cash in most instances, we'd arrange what they need. Just film it and send it to me. So on two occasions, he was, um, on one occasion, he was FaceTiming because there's a village near to Mumbai. Other occasion, he was videoing. I could see, and it was always lunchtime because that's when you would go, that's when you'd be free. Blazing heat. And you would be quite upset with me. He's like, can we just, can we stop doing this? Because I'm, I'm dying here. And I could see like an <laughs> army of what looked like ants walking in the background with these barrels on their head. And they were quite far away. So the first time, I didn't say anything because it was quite short. Second time, again, same time. So here's a grown man complaining to me about the heat. And I can see very young girls and, and mothers walking in the background. And I started asking him questions. And he was giving me very basic answers like, they're lucky they've even got water. You know, this is normal here. You guys in the West think you want to solve everything. You know, it was that kind of relationship I had with him. And I just left out that. And that's when I started to research. So I went back to the office and started researching you know, so we, we get water delivery. So in, if you've got a cooler in your office, you see those big barrels of water. So that got delivered one day. I'm not very good with my hands unless it's on a keyboard and mouse. So I was helping take the, the water bottles down. And, you know, I just got that eureka moment, you know, when we were putting it down and it was rolling a little bit. That Let me just look into finding a manufacturer that could turn this into something that would roll. You know, that's as far as I thought at that point in time started Googling it and almost my charity came to life that very same day because I found a lady called Cynthia who had the same type of Eureka moment who had been in India two years before and gone through various revisions of what was a, uh, this water wheel. And I got in touch with her and she said, yep, yeah, this is the manufacturer. This is my product. We've trialed it for years and years and years. It works in heavy terrain. It's food grade plastic. The manufacturer gives you an 18-month warranty on this. We've known for it to last. Like, there's very few that go wrong because it's such a simple design. I could, the very next day, put in an order for wheels. Uh, it's about 23 pounds, but 28 pounds delivered. And that's it. There was my charity. We, I started fundraising straight away. Wow. i tell you what I find amazing, and, and it, it's uh, something that, that listening to you, you do is you spot something. Because when you showed it to me, I thought to myself, I used to go camping and camping. We had those things, you know, we had those big tum on, and you wheel it to and from the water. But it's fascinating that that must be 35 years ago. Mm. And it took you and this woman to suddenly think, oh, hang on a minute, we can adapt that, use it and utilise it to an issue that's been there for, for centuries. I think it's amazing that you sort of saw something and then did something about it and, and just spotted that opportunity, which sort of goes back to printing for 5P, your, you know, your digital printing little copies and also, whatever it is it's a brilliant and i think for the for the the women and the and the children one i think there's a there's a massive health benefit mm. in that they're not carrying these extraordinarily heavy barrels of water on their head but also i think it's inspiring for them it gives them hope it kind of says to them you know things can get better you know for you and your family here's a change and if that sparks their thinking to to have more ambition or try and change things in mm. their local community it's it's great and as a result of that has that has a positive impact on your core business has that changed the way that, that digimax operates how you think how your team think has, has it come back into into your business side of things 
internally, it's been really interesting because for, for, for the ones who are on that same journey as me, who, who are quite soft in that sense, they are the first to, to put their hand up. They are the ones coming up with ideas. They're the ones telling the family that this is what we do. And they are so engaged. And, you know, it's built a, a separate kind of culture. And obviously, you know, like there's 30 in our team, but there's going to be some that for them, it's just like, I cannot even connect with this. No, I'm just going to lie low. And then there's so most of them are extremely engaged. But from an external point of view, look, no one's ever... No, no one's ever told me anyway that we use you because we came to you because of the water wheel concept. No one's actually ever said that. But I know I will use companies that have a strong CSR focus in their business. Mm. That tells me they're kind businesses. That tells me that they care. And that tells me they're going to care about the product or service that they're going to supply to me. As long as it's, you know, there's CSRs, a genuine thing for them and it's mm. not you know, um, a, a pantomime, which happens as well for some companies. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it must have some external mm. benefit, but no one's ever told me. I, lo- I love that clip. That clip, I really enjoy listening back to that. i tell you what, it really resonated with me. The problem with the industry as well is I think a lot of people just didn't understand what I was doing. They were like, mm. how is this going to work? How is this a viable business model? Like, most people thought I was insane. A lot of people laughed. A lot of people told me it couldn't be done. And again, you know, not to do this sort of thing, but as sometimes as, you know, as a woman as well, mm-hmm. um, and, a, you know, a younger woman looking up to sort of like peers for help and support. Um, no one really like poo-pooed it, but at first they just didn't understand it. And then as it started to gain momentum, all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, wow, you're doing amazing. Oh, you've done really well. And like, oh, you're a genius. I'm like, mm. and it's flattering. I was going to say, it's flattering and irritating yeah. at the same Can time. Can I join you? Yeah. I think anything that hasn't been done before, that, that you know, most people say it's impossible, which is why it hasn't been done before. And the really smart people say, well, what is the art of the possible? What, what could be done? And it's those people that generally change things and, and move mm. it on. And it's very easy to then say, after the event, oh, well, it's obvious. But it wasn't obvious at the time it took happen because it, it didn't even mm-hmm. exist as no. a thing. But there's been times as well, and and obviously never to like, you know, badmouth anyone and things, but there were times when comments arise such as, well, why are they using her? Why have they chosen to work with her? She's just a hygienist. Yeah. I mean, when you when I hear stuff like that, I, I'm tough skin. Okay, remember, this is this is not an issue for me. If anything, it just stoked the fire even more. I'm like, Keep coming at me with that attitude and mentality because this is probably why we still have some of the problems we have in dentistry. So I have this big gripe when people go, oh, but we've always done it this way. And I'm like, hmm, like that just, I can't work with people or around people that have that sort of mentality. And I'm like, we have problems. I'm a problem solution kind of girl. I love puzzles growing up. I still love it now. And I think that's why I really enjoy what I'm doing with the the brand and the business in the sense that there are problems and I'm finding solutions, which therefore propositions me really well in front of, for example, not just my patient base, but also the industry, which mm. is why it has led to partnerships or industry involvement, because there are people who can see what I am doing and there are now other clinicians who are following this business model because mm. it works. But also from a, from a human health and a patient point of view, you know, hygiene is a very easy access point into dentistry. 
So if you get it right and you can get patients in with, on a hygiene program, actually it turns around and it's no longer the dental practice referring to the hygienist. You end up with a good hygiene program and suddenly you start referring people into dentistry. So it's, it's the same thing, just viewed in a slightly different way. Mm. And patients would engage with the people they feel most well, comfortable engaging with. It's more engagement, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Well, this is the other thing as well. So bearing in mind, I am a lot of people's first contact in the sense like at the moment, particularly post like, sort of mm. lockdown and COVID, I've got patients that haven't come in years and then they've perhaps seen my social media or they've read about me in an article. And they finally, after years of avoiding the dental chair, had plucked up the courage to come. At that point then, I am that first touch point. Mm. I have the opportunity to show them that you can have a pleasant experience. Mm. Also, because there's certain elements of dentistry which I can't do, I'm able to then talk them through those procedures. And because I'm not going to be carrying them out, they almost feel like, well, I trust you because you don't have a hidden agenda but to be the, carrying them out. from the patient's out. point of view, the what you can and what you can't do doesn't really bother them. In that moment, no. you are the face of dentistry. Yeah, you are. That's right. Yeah. You are the face of dentistry. You That interaction is going to determine whether they decide to come back, whether they're going to mm, tell their friends, whether yeah. they're going to have a positive experience. So the actual clinical, what you can do and what you can't do, kind of is by the by. They come, it's an experience, isn't yeah. it? If that goes well, it blows up for everybody. Because this is the other aspect here. It's like people say, well, there's no money in a healthy mouth. And I'm like, well, these are someone, for example, someone who hasn't come for seven years, who is now coming every three months and is happy coming every three months because they now see the value in the investment. So, you know, my, I'm pretty fully booked these days. And that's only sort of growing and expanding because once you get them through the door and you convert them, that's it, which means what I set out with my business model at the very beginning is is and the sort of my company ethos and, and messaging has paid off to the point where I, I don't know if you knew or not, but I obviously went back to uni last year and yes. did my second degree. That's what, yeah. So yeah, then I saw, I've, yeah. I'm now a dental therapist, which therefore means I've now expanded my scope of practice mm, even further yeah. to therefore mean that when the patient comes in, if they do need some of that basic dentistry, I can now complete that for them. Mm. And I think, again, post-COVID and with waiting times and as a business model in terms of how we all work together, actually utilising hygienists and therapists to their full scope of practice has got to be the way forward. And I encourage more and more people to actually work better with their hygienists and therapists if they're not already. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was another of my favourites. That's oh, brilliant. I, I just, stories of people are just amazing, aren't they? But I'm just like... Yeah, you need to stop that that silly rolling around stuff now, don't you? Really, you, you need to <laughs> chuck it in. You, you've got a professional life ahead of you. You need to. And I was like, and it, 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 this was the moment of reckoning. It was like, Dad, it's because I do that on the side that it allows me to perform in the educational side. And it, it it's like the pin dropped it. And it was probably about two thousand eight nine wow. um, when that kind of happened. And I was like, oh, so I actually need this mm. to be good at this. Um, and then ever since, I mean, it's always a continuous battle for time. Um, I've heard a, a, a fantastic video from a doctor from the US and he, and he uses the analogy. It's like going out with two girlfriends, both hate each other, both know about each other and they're all asking for your time, you know? Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's almost like the perfect analogy for me. Um, but, in always some, but in some ways, the, 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 the breakdancing bit is a very creative, expressive form. And obviously the sort of dentistry you're doing 
is incredibly creative with a great aesthetic outcome. And it makes you wonder whether there's kind of a, a link between the fact that you're you're creative, but it's just mm. being channeled and delivered in, in, in different ways. I'd love to and see the way Shiraz presents a treatment plan. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty dogmatic. If you know where I work, you know where it's pretty dogmatic. There's a few shapes in it. <laughs> I'm just thinking um, that creativity. Yeah, I can do your teeth yeah. like this. Oh, that was, yeah. <laughs> You're giving away all your moves. You're sorry, giving away sorry, all your moves. Yeah. I can see it straight away. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think um, w- w- with dentistry, um, there's a heavy... There's a heavy, uh, what's the way to put this? There's a heavy focus on it being very scientific. It is very, I mean, it's not a focus. It is mm-hmm. a scientific yeah. field. You said medical science, which which summarizes it to a T. I think um, there are elements to be able to express your creativity. Um, and it's, it's, it's exactly that that I need in my life. I need that, you know, I'm the sort of person who needs spontaneity sort of in my life. And the more, as you, as we've been knowing, knowing each other for a long time, Andy, right? It's the more you're doing, the more you're trying to strive to improve and better yourself or whatever, the more funneled your life becomes in terms of yeah. time commitments, in terms of being able to be spontaneous. Oh, I just fancy going to the Cotswolds tomorrow. That, that sort of stuff doesn't really happen. It has to be quite prescriptive. Mm. And then when you get this hour, you get to kind of do what you want and you don't have to think about it in a dogmatic way. I mean, of course, training has a, a systematic way to do it. If you're competing, you need to be making sure you're doing endurance training, you're doing strength training, you're doing rehearsals for certain types of movements. So there are there is a science to that as well. But as I've become probably slightly less competitive in the last year, I'd say, especially with COVID, it's given me the chance to just be a bit free and enjoy enjoy moving around. And mm. that gives so much solace to the mind. So that if you if you you know, troubleshooting, we talk about troubleshooting all the time. If you've got a problem and you can't get over it. Well, actually, go away, do something completely off-piste, come back and guess what? You'll probably be able to deal with it, won't you? And that's yeah, kind of true. my my mm. off-piste type of thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, with dentistry, sometimes we end up, you know, you, you 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 treat a lot of patients all day long, and then you'll probably be doing a course on, in mm. the evening, or you'll be doing a course somewhere, or you'll be going on a conference, or you'll be discussing interdisciplinary treatment planning. It all becomes so insular and so mm. in, sort of inbred, not in the bad way. But, you know, you're all just with dentists all the time, or dental professionals. Um, you, you, this takes me out of it. This takes me out of the whole circle. Yeah. Um, um, which sure, is something when I need. you're doing the sculpt training, does that sort of give you... Uh, almost a, a sort of halfway house to get your creativity out onto onto that. So whilst you're not throwing shapes, but you're sort of you are throwing shapes on a on yeah, exactly. showing something. On is that how it sort on, of on works? Composite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sculpt um, is a so for for those that may or may not know, it's a, a program that I've come up with over the years. I've been doing lots of education, and I've systemized in my own mind and my own way how we can restore posterior teeth. Um, and, and, and copy the anatomy that was given to us so that rather than being a, right, it's actually the anatomy that's carved into the teeth. And I created this sort of system, which allows, which allows for telecommunication. So we're on Zoom ex- as an example. Um, and people get to tune in live and the sessions are recorded. So those that miss them get the chance, but it means that we send a, like a subscription box out to people and they get to just join along really. Um, and yeah, exactly that. It, it is allowing me because I've done so much sort of, I suppose, homework or background work. I get to start being manually dexterously mm. creative as opposed to creative in terms of other ways. And, um, 
yeah, it's, uh, Scotland's been a revelation for us actually, and we've had such such great feedback for it. Um, we're still not exactly where we need to be in terms of the infrastructure, uh, unfortunately, but actually, we're we're we're, we're sold out. What's standing out for me is is the the word expression kind of jumps to mind because because it's it's expression in terms of you know the expressive works through you know sculpt composite and that and there's expression through dance it's mm. it's a need to express who you are you know either professionally or or through kind of dance in my head i've sort of got this idea of you know that sometimes you get oil that that comes through and it sort of it seeps up through yeah. the the ground and it finds a way even if someone stops it it sort of finds another way to come up and that's yeah. that's what i'm sort of seeing is that you've got this that, that's that's part of your your core and your being yeah. and ultimately it's going to find its way somewhere yeah. in no matter yeah, what you're doing it's sort of like oh there it is yeah. <laughs> oh. that's a mega analogy that's a mega analogy actually I like that because it is uh, you know I don't and, and I think you know we've talked about this at length haven't we Andy you know we I don't express the way I am for the sake of um, for the sake of others and, and that's really really important it's not I don't choose uh, sock colour or pocket square colour or the way I dress for the sake of others you know mm. I was having a, I was having a, a bit of a bit of joy, joyous banter with someone online uh, last week about the clothes that you wear and you know why you wear them whatever and um, you know there was a comment about um, oh I, I'm not going to wear it because so and so says I shouldn't and this that and the other and whatever and it, like I said it was totally harmless it was a it was a but the words rodeo clown were used to explain my dresses so <laughs> <laughs> it was complete banter until the phrase rodeo until, clown turned up like, and it's like what yeah thanks for that like, yeah. listen <laughs> chat we need to have a word don't we no no it was it was it was it was all in it's all in light but the point I was I was making is is whatever you choose to do or however you choose to express yourself or whatever personality traits you have provided that the number one intention and I think this is probably one of the main things that if I was going to use a key word for today it's all about intention mm. if your intention is to be free or express who you are for the sake of yourself not because of society that's what I think um, speaks volumes um, yeah. if your intention is good for the patient and it doesn't go quite right the patient will sense that and and yeah. there's so much crossover mm. in in things because I mean you know things don't go you know to plan all the time of course they don't um, um, anyone that says they do are, are, are frankly lying. Um, I was going to say I think they're either lying or, or they're not doing things. They're somebody yeah, who just yeah, yeah. sits on the sideline and, and pass commentary. We talk a lot about um, physical health and we talk about about mental health, but it would be wonderful if we could get to a stage in life where we just talked about health because it's all joined up. It's it's not That's one right. or the other. Mm. And have you had periods in your life where you've not been as physically active as you'd like to be or you are? And has that had an impact on your mental health? Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And I, I like that because it is just health. The body is one system. Mm. It, it can be segmentalised or compartmentalised into different systems to simplify it, but in essence, it's one being. Um, and, and, you know, um, I was, I was with Corey Fern, as, as you guys know, massive mentor, a huge inspiration to me and, and actually a leader of the profession in the UK, um, if not the world. And he talked about an analogy that you've got a, you've got a stone in your shoe. Okay. You've got a stone in your shoe and that slightly puts your knee out on one side. And then what that does is the opposite side of the back starts hurting because there's this reverberation effect. Compensate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're compensating on other things. And yeah, I mean, I, I think there have been times where I'm not as physically active. I mean, even lockdowns are probably an example. Despite us trying to do wee break fit and, and keeping relatively fit, I was definitely not training. But I, I'd say probably a year, 
the year before that. I definitely wasn't training at the level that I was used to. And you just slowly feel this. I don't know how to put it. It's like this impending doom because you can't, you, you're not releasing the excess energy or the excess, or you're not receiving the normal amount of uh, endorphins that you would or whatever. And, you know, strangely, my, my, my mum's mom, my grandmother, she said to me, she said, oh, you need to, you need to cut all this training stuff out. Right. So she said it, it was about 2016. She said, sack it off. It's just, it's a waste of your time. I was like, I don't quite understand. And she had so much, re- so much um, intelligence behind this comment. She's like, there's going to come a day where you can't do it to the level that you're doing it. And you're going to get really down about it. And I was like, no, 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 whatever. And now like five years later, I'm like, you will, you will. Yeah. If you have caffeine every day, you operate, uh, you upregulate the number of receptors in your brain. So that if you don't have caffeine, you're always sluggish. The same thing applies for your life. If you're not active, if you're really usually quite active and then you go through a three week lull, everything's so much heavier. Everything's so much more laborious. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's tough. But then again, when you're, you know, you're maximizing your physical, other things start failing as well. So you might not be able mm. to attend conferences, courses, and it's been a balance. It's like ebbs and flows. It's hard to fit it all in, isn't it? I think is the, the issue yeah. when you're so busy. I never expected to hear that, to be honest. That really surprised me. Well, I must admit, to the words a bit out of my mouth, really. I was like, oh, flip, that's stunning. Because yeah, you're right. Yeah, you 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 fix you fix problems, albeit in a mm. in, in, in a mouth on teeth. But actually, that skill of of fixing problems has a great application in the world of business because mm. things crop up all the time. And I think about your own practice. You you bought your practice in 2018, uh, virtually immediately embarked on a remodeling program of that practice. So by the time that was in, the work was done. You got settled. It wasn't long before this thing called COVID turned up. So in terms of resilience and what was required, I guess some of those things that had happened in your earlier life, you were probably slightly better placed than, than lots of people because in the early days of owning a business, it's, it's a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights anyway, isn't it? You're not entirely sure what you're doing. You're being asked to make a million decisions. You don't really know how to make them. You don't really know what the right answer is, but you just have to keep making them. So how did that, how did that feel like when you, when you took over? And, and why, why would you buy a business and immediately embark on this, this radical makeshift of the practice? Was that, was that part of the plan or did you just feel you couldn't wait? I think... Um it, it, it was it was strategic to a certain extent based on you know the when I, when I bought the business you could see things it was only there was only one way it could go yeah. really to be totally frank with you so it was similar to you could tell my life that it's either boom or bust really. <laughs> you, you go with it or or you know just you just sit on just sit on your ass and don't do anything really mm. but but effectively um, what what kind of inspired me was that I, I saw that the practice had great potential. Um, it had substantial levels of underinvestment for a long period of time. And the patient base of that clinic didn't know anything else, they didn't know any better. They only knew one type of dentistry, which mm. was which was how it was for the best part of 25, 30 years. So I, I knew that through you know steady, slow and steady, you know, building eventually we could we could get it to a stage where we can then really i could really remodel it and and put my own stamp on it i'd say that process probably took three to six months initially before we you know really say we ironed out all the 
all the major problems. Um, but there, there were still issues then, you mm. know. And mm. and what what I found is that as as the practice grows and develops, you're always going to have issues. You're always going to have problems. But what what's changing is that the the class or the caliber of problem changes with time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's what I love about, about learning is that. You know, the problem solving becomes more complex, but it, it, it ultimately it becomes more enjoyable as well. Mm. So, yeah. Did you um, did you make decisions quick enough? Um, good question. Did I make decisions quick enough? I would say yes, I did. Yeah. I would say yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's always a, a strong sign of somebody who's truly entrepreneurial, someone that has the ability to make. Um, uh, Barack Obama did a talk in Mexico um, y- years ago, and somebody said to him, "You know, being president of the U- United States, it's it's ridiculous the number of decisions you've got to make, and how do you cope with the scale of the decisions you're making?" And he said, "51 percent." He said, "If you've got information that leads you towards an answer, and the information you've got gets you to 51 percent, make a decision. Because if you then make a decision, that puts you on a path. You can always change your mind yeah, and make another right. decision, but at least you've made a decision. And that thing about speed of decision, I think, if you make it, you're making progress. It might not be perfect. It might not be exactly where you need to end up, but at least you're making the decision. So it's it's great to hear that. Mm. You know, it's on reflection, you know, you were making those decisions quickly because." I don't know, but I imagine when when COVID hit and you know you'd have had to shut your practice in in March to, to June as a minimum, you would have had to again go into a new environment where you had to make another whole whole heap of decisions quickly. Yeah, and and that's literally how it was. I think you know we could see it going that way based on what was happening with the prime minister's announcements. You know, I remember in early March, the latter part of March. And then obviously, you know, once the, the chief dental officer's message came out where everything was just shut down, um, effectively, you know, the first thing I was thinking was obviously on my team, you know, everything that we built over this period of time. Um, but, you know, how are we going to ride this storm? And ultimately, <laughs> the business head just went on mm-hmm. thinking we've got to manage cash flow over here as, as quickly and as efficiently as we can. And so I sat down with my practice manager and, and, and my team very, very quickly. And we had a, a, a robust plan in place, which, you know, reduced the hemorrhaging at that stage as, as best as we could, um, like a lot of other businesses. Um, but yeah, like you said, decisions had to be made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you when you wanted to get this, this, this change pushed through in the practice, um, did you... Did you want to reinvent it? Did you want it to come out the other end of the process with your DNA all over it and your stamp? Or were you looking to evolve the thing you've bought? Because quite often, you know, we get lots of questions and people talk about the value of goodwill. The value of goodwill is very high. So one of the things when people buy a dental practice is they want to protect protect that value. And in many ways, it's quite a bold move to then make the investment and do the work you did, which kind of moves it away from where it was. But did you feel comfortable with that with that sort of approach? I think the advice I'll give to anyone is that don't be afraid of making decisions and don't be afraid to put your stamp on stamp on things. I think mm. there is there is a tact in which you do it as well. Mm. And I, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think you often get this question art, do you just go in all guns blazing? Yeah, don't uh, go like a bull in a china shop, yeah. Exactly. And then effectively you know, completely destroy what made that practice, you know, because I think that's one way you could possibly lose 
your team very quickly or mm. the distance that's there. Um, the way I did it, I had very clear ideas of where I wanted the practice to go and very clear ideas in terms of the investment it needed. So, you know, I, I literally brought my team and my, my team on that journey, you know, um, and no, this may be a shock or surprise to you, but since I've actually taken over the practice, we've not actually lost one member of staff from the pre-existing organization. Mm. We kept them all on. You know, and, and, and if there's one advice I could give to people, which, which is slightly different to maybe what's being told, you know, historically, but this is my, my analysis of it, is that no one generally, when I, when I looked at that practice, everyone had been working there for a long period of time, you know, at least five years. So the existing owner must have seen some good qualities in those members. Yeah, that's dead right. Yeah. So they all can't be, they all can't be bad. You know, they must be good. And what I've tried to do is just bring them up another notch by another 10, 15%. Mm. That's it. You know, that's, that's and, brilliant. Yeah. One of the things we say, we used to say, we, we haven't done them for a while, but on the courses, we used to say to people, you don't go in and sack everybody because remember when they were employed, they were the best people <laughs> at that time, which is exactly what you've just said, you know, and it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that mold them to be what you want them to be rather than say, oh, well, they're crap and yeah. I'll just get rid of them. And to think all this came out of just the first two seasons. Oh, yeah, just two seasons. Imagine how many more. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.